Hello. We are recording. Oh, we are? Yeah. <laughs> Please don't put that in the podcast. <laughs> we are recording. All right, Maybe you I'll can put, put it in. I'll, I'll start my career here. Should I go? Yeah. Right. Hi, everyone. I'm Emily. And I'm Vince. And this is The Lighthouse Lowdown. That was good. I had some conviction to it. Yeah, I was also doing some uh, arm movements for Vince. Just so he'd feel really included. I don't know if the microphone picked that up, but I just banged my tooth on this Yeti cup Oh, you okay? Bing! Yeah, I'm good. I'm just uh, humbled, you know. (laughs) Gotta start out the day strong. It brought me down back to earth. My coffee got... Started fighting back, so... Yeah. So, today... Uh, is it a Christmas episode? Is it is. Right? It's a Christmas episode. Uh, I feel like we haven't done this in a while. We haven't recorded in a long time. On time. Yeah. yeah. Just, okay. So it just feels like it's been a while. Mm-hmm. So glad we're back at it. Got our coffee. Got some uh, a morning jam. We're going through a jam advent calendar yeah. right now. Jams <sighs> and jellies. I can't the brand, but it's, it's the good a brand. Tiny, like one ounce jar of jam. Uh, for each day of December, and today's was fig cardamom, which I still can't pronounce. Cardamom, cardamom, yeah, cardigan, fig cardigan <laughs> jelly. It was all right. It was interesting. Tasted yeah. like raisins to me. We just have a little, little half of an English muffin and spread some jam. Yeah. So tis the season for jams, jellies, yeah. and podcasts. We're we're in the spirit, so we're gonna do a Christmas episode. Let's do it. This is over. The tradition that has to do with lighthouses called Flying Santa. I don't have a history buoy, by the way. I just... No buoy? Yeah. Wow. I don't know. I guess I wasn't prepared. Or I, I kind of feel like it, it's not really with the theme. Doing a history buoy with, with the Flying Santa history is kind of... Okay. There's no know. There's no history to the... Uh, there's no history to add some like side yeah, information. Yeah. It's okay. like I'm already doing like a bunch of... Today's a, more of like a history episode... I don't know how to, it's more like a timeline history than the lighthouses. We usually cover like stories and stuff. Yeah. Timeline kind of, but then we talk about construction and like stories. And then when Coast Guard took over, how did that change things? Yeah. But this is like, it's more like per year. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. How this tradition came to light, really. All right. So Flying Santa, what, what do we, what is that? So starting off, uh, what? Where I got most of my information is the Friends of Flying Santa website. And Jeremy D'Etremont with the US LHS does a virtual gala, which covers the history of Flying Santa every year, I think for the past three years. Mr. D'Etremont. Yeah. So US LHS and Friends of Flying Santa um, band together and do a, a gala. Nice. And That's so. Cool. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes to the presentation for this year, but they have some big names, big lighthouse names on this presentation. Whoa. Yeah. It was just a zoom call and I missed it, but they have a, they recorded it so you can watch it online. So I'm kind of doing the same thing that that presentation does just talking about the history and how it came to be. Mm-hmm. And if you want more detail, you can listen into listen to Jeremy talk about it. He also has a podcast called lighthearted with the US LHS. Oh, I like that. It's a good yeah. title. Our podcasts are a little bit different, so... What's Lighthearted like? Have you listened in? Uh, they always have special guests. Okay. And, um, yeah, it's... I don't know. It's more professional, obviously. Sure. You're, you're insinuating that I'm not special. All right, cool. Wait, what? 
Yeah, you're just guest. You're not special guest. I was just here. I was in the house. Like, hey. Well, it just said something that he can do it solo and I have to have a co-host. Hmm. <laughs> mm. It reflects badly on my character. Well, lighthearted. I like that name a lot. Yeah, so it's maybe cute. Maybe I'll give him a test run. I've never listened to a full episode, but I did listen to a couple select ones to help out with my own podcast work. Nice. But yeah, so let's hop into Flying Santa. This started in 1929. We're going back about, I think this year is the 93rd anniversary, if math is correct. I don't want to math this early in the morning. This early in the morning. It's four minutes to noon. (laughs) My statement stands. Don't be fooled just because we're drinking coffee. My statement stands. I don't want to math this early in the morning, even if it is 1157. It's weird because you start work at 9 a.m. and you're an engineer, so I don't know. It doesn't really add up. I do not start work at 9. I start work at 7. Oh, sorry. I'm at 7. Oh, my gosh. Those two <laughs> hours. <laughs> oh, those, those two, two hours. hours. Anyway, well, so Flying Santa. Let's go. Flying Santa was a way to show gratitude to lighthouse keepers and their families hmm. back when it started. And now it's continues as a way to show gratitude to Coast Guard and their families. Oh, nice. Yeah, so the tradition is that basically presents are flown to the lighthouses by Flying Santa. It's exactly mm-hmm. the name. You can figure out kind mm-hmm. of what it's all about. Santa flies to the lighthouses. Mm-hmm. Okay. It all started with Captain William H. Winkapaw, who was a <laughs> main float plane pilot. It's an awesome name. Yeah. We get a lot of awesome names on this podcast. Winkapaw. Winkapaw. Also goes by Bill, by the way. I, Bill I kind of switch off during this episode. So He was a native of Friendship, Maine in Penobscot Bay. I think that's how you pronounce it. Penobscot, which is a bunch of little islands. And so the main way to get around was these amphibious planes, the float plane. Super cool. Yeah. So he uh, flew those, also sailed coasting vessels and had a bunch of different planes that he could fly mm-hmm. and was also a civilian flying instructor during World War One, doing his good deeds. That's really cool. Basically, his whole life was flying. So He often flew sick and injured people in uh, Penobscot Bay to the mainland to get medical yeah. assistance. Yeah. So he just, he didn't have to do that. I mean, there were other ways for people to get to the mainland, but the fastest way would be to take a plane. So he'd pick up people who needed to go to the hospital or something and would fly them to the mainland. Yeah. So it's 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 a bay, but you're saying it's a set of islands. Yeah. It's like full the, of islands. The bay is off. I mean, the islands are off of a bay, I take it. Here, come here. Everyone can look up a picture, but it's like a oh, bunch okay. of little islands all in this bay. So yeah, it's kind of, it's like, it's an inlet, but it's very wide and has lots Huge of... Huge bay. Yeah, lots yeah. of lots, lots of, of different of islands. terrain within that bay. Gotcha. Yeah. So that's... uh. That's southwest of Maine. I'm sure it's, I mean, part of Maine. Yeah. So. So, I'm sorry to interrupt you. He flew civilians that needed medical care sometimes. Yeah, he would do that because he uh, flew around this amphibious plane just to get from point A to point B because he's in these little islands. That's his daily driver as a float plane. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) When he's flying all these people, sometimes at night, he'd rely on lighthouses a lot to Mm. get around or Mm -hmm. to see where he was going. And so he would visit the lighthouses a lot, get to know a lot of the keepers, and would just keep up with them regularly and made friends with a lot of them. So around Christmas Day, he wanted to show some appreciation for these keepers. 
So he loaded his plane with newspapers, candy, and coffee and dropped these packages at the lighthouses as he flew over. Literally airdropped them? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's like all the way up until I think the 70s, these packages were dropped from a height. That <laughs> so not a lot of breakable items. No. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of like food and ma- magazines, books, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Just uh, things for keepers to look forward to on Christmas Day because they're so separated, especially oh, yeah. from at this time. It's like the commercialness of Christmas. You know, you're walking around and like oh, yeah. shops are decorated and everyone's pushing buying Christmas gifts and all of that. It's like you're completely separated. If you didn't decorate yourself, you wouldn't even know that it was Christmas. Yeah. Keep track of the days till your shift ends. Yeah. The reception for like he, he dropped all these presents off, but he yeah. wasn't like no one was watching, like waiting for him to come by and drop a present. He would just drop them. I was going to say, how did they know? Yeah. Like first time, let's say you're a lighthouse keeper. Yeah. You come outside and there's a newspaper and tape wrapped collection of coffee and chocolate and somewhere like in nuts. your garden. Yeah. You're like, what the heck? You're like looking around. <laughs> I'm sure he like left a note on it or something, but I like then the day after he dropped all these presents, he was getting like correspondence from people oh. saying like that it made them so happy and like what a great gift for them just the experience itself so that's awesome he did it every year and he started to expand to more of the coastline including massachusetts rhode island and connecticut very soon after he had started so he was just a one-man band doing this for a little while just yeah. to be nice so these are so he appreciated the lighthouses always being reliable and he mm. used them for navigation, all of his flights. And then he started to show the appreciation with this yes. Christmas gift mm-hmm. and he became the Santa in the sky. Yes. He became is, lighthouse Santa. Santa is in the sky, of course. So butterfly in the sky. You serious Clark? <laughs> <laughs> okay. He was finally given the name Santa by the receivers of his gifts and began dressing up as Santa each year <clears throat> while he was flying his plane, which like, That's a lot of effort. Also, they can't see you. <laughs> Dedication. He probably just really wanted to feel like Santa. Took Might on well. the whole persona. Yeah, exactly. Big beard, flight boots, flight gloves. <laughs> flight Santa. So nineteen. this is 1930s that started? Yeah. Really cool. Okay. Yeah. So in 1933, he moved just north of Boston, Massachusetts, and flights went to as many as 91 lighthouses and Coast Guard bases in like that short of a time period oh my gosh he's a literal santa i know like how 91 drops i want to know exactly what time he had to start was it going like was it all christmas eve he was dropping gifts or did he go at night or like i I doubt it was at night but i mean you can see the lighthouses because of the light but you probably would be safer doing it during daylight but it had to be before Even Christmas so, Day. That's or incredible. maybe it was like on Christmas Day. I don't incredible. know. Incredible. By now, by nineteen, but by the time they moved, mm. uh, his son Bill Junior had helped out. Had been like started helping out. Packaging and yeah, yeah, and he would fly in the plane with his dad, oh. and so he could focus on flying. Bill Senior and Bill Junior would be bombing the presents out of the plane. That's so cool. <laughs> I would love for my dad to ask, hey, you want to go throw stuff out of a plane? Also, I'm sure Absolutely. like growing up, he was probably in planes all the time. Like if right. that's just how his dad got around, he's probably really like yeah. exposed to that. Um, and by 1934, he became the youngest licensed pilot at 17 in Massachusetts. 
That's really cool. Yeah. So he flew on his own to some of the lighthouses in 1935. So they kind of split it into like a northern route and a southern route. Mm -hmm. 91 lighthouses. Each one gets newspaper, coffee, candy and stuff. So it starts to get really expensive. Yeah. And so they found some sponsors, including W.S. Quimby Company of Boston, uh, which is the parent company of La Terrain Coffee. I've seen it before, but only because of Flying Santa. Is it um, like a yellow bag? I don't know. That's what I'm thinking of. Early photos of Flying Santa had La Terrain on the sides okay. the sides of the plane. Uh, and so sponsored. I actually haven't seen what a bag of it would look like. Yeah. It's interesting. But it still cool. it still it's exists today. Too. So but William would fly and Bill Jr. would drop these presents yeah. off the side into the lighthouse um area, like as much as possible. Yeah. They're flying <laughs> like thirty feet above the ground. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just be like, Well, I hope this at least lands on the island somewhere that they can find. Did you, I'm sorry, did you find any details on like how they packaged them? Like are these like Subway sandwich packages or are they? They're in boxes. Boxes? with mm-hmm. like? Do they I, have? I don't think they had little parachutes, parachutes or anything. I think they would just fly over. I'm sure it was a pretty beat up box. Those boxes must have been built different. <laughs> the Amazon boxes of today oh, yeah. cannot be dropped from one foot. They had to have been heavy duty like packing boxes. Yeah, maybe they were wood boxes. Oh, maybe like little crates. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'd be concerned about hitting someone with. Well, one cardboard those. wasn't. I don't. I guess I don't know the history of cardboard. Interesting. What materials? I always think about that because I think about the history of like um, rubber and plastics. That's yeah. we just take that for granted. Like cords, bags, everything. Yeah. Like even Starbucks tire types. tire rubber. Where like Bakelite. If you were to look up Bakelite, was one of the early plastics. Is a thermoset, and so they would form it once. And then it, like your parents or maybe grandparents, depending on who you are, might have had like this brown kitchenware. that's this gross plastic that was super brittle. Bakelite. That's what it was. Hmm. So anyways, before that, before plastics were so big, we had a big use of leathers and natural rubbers, like rubber that came from tar um, from the earth. Very different. So gross. anyways, back to packages. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for the, the coffee Got tangent. very interested in the... Uh... Like the demise of the packages, they yeah. hit the ground. Big it's light. Like, oh, was this bake light or <laughs> cardboard? <laughs> Something interesting is that the planes used each year were like different. They weren't. Like, did he own his own planes? He did. He had his own planes, but I think over time, because of the distance he had to travel, that More he started fuel. to yeah sponsors use would let them use let yeah let them use. It their planes yeah okay that's really nice yeah so i i don't know anything about these planes but i thought it was fun that they actually had like the names on here for just i just wrote down three years i wasn't Mm -hmm. gonna go through all of them but in 1935 it was the belonka airbus and then in 1936 was a stinson i like that name i didn't know if maybe you wouldn't know any of these oh um these are models or like the plane had a name painted on the side oh they're models okay and then 1937 was a Faulkner donated by Bickfords, which was a family under that uh, company that sponsored them that owned La Terrain. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had restaurants and stuff. So. Yeah. No, I'm not familiar with 1930s aircraft. But, well, <laughs> I don't I mean to say that just, I know a little bit about so, 1940s. You're like, so, you can see any vehicle and tell me what it is. And so I didn't know if that maybe pertained yeah. to planes If you took well. me to the 1930s vehicles, I'd be troubled. Oh, yeah. Unless we're talking Gatsby's, Gatsby's wheels. But 
Great Gatsby. His wheels? Their vehicles were like a major point in the story. Oh. The Great Gatsby. Oh. At least to me, a car person who was reading that. Anyways. Reading? Oh, I was immediately thought of the movie. Well, book and movie. So I don't know the Faulkner, but I have heard that before. Mm-hmm. Airbus I, that is still used in many names. We'll have to look up pictures. So. Maybe maybe if we can find some pictures of some of them, uh, we can. You may post them on the Instagram. You may edit this part out, but I've been thinking if we're doing, we're not doing video on the podcast right now, but potentially we could do a YouTube upload or something or your Instagram and then like if it's a YouTube screen it would be a still photo of whatever we want it to be yeah until we have the next still photo mm, that's interesting so you could see you know airplane a airplane b airplane c yeah coffee and then brand. it can be transcripted so you could read what, what we're saying yeah. but just not yet I don't know who's gonna do that work so yeah I can't take uh, on anything else one thing at a time but no I'm sorry I'm not familiar with the 1930s aircraft okay but anyway I thought it was cool we can look up pictures of them I would have done that before, but I forgot about it. So, moving on. Um, Edward Rose Snow, moving on to another guy, uh, moving out of the Winkapaw family. Oh, oh. <laughs> I was like, what was their name? Did he retire? <laughs> uh, no, he's just joining in to help. So, oh. he was born in Massachusetts in 1902 and was a maritime history expert, author, storyteller, and became invi- involved in the flights since 1936. And flew with Bill Jr. while Bill Sr. flew the northern route. Mm-hmm. And he was just basically like a big fan of this Flying Santa thing. Yeah. And he just was like, hey, can I help out anyway? And just got pushed in. I mean, he wasn't a pilot or anything. He was just really loved the, um, the tradition yeah, that they had started. So. So, so what was his role in helping out? So he would Bill. So Bill Jr. would fly mm. one of the planes on the southern route, and Snow would drop presents off. His the side. name was Snow. Isn't that fun? He was made for this. His wife's name must have been Carol. It was Anna, but <laughs> would have been cool. <laughs> <laughs> we won't mention Carol then. So this year in 1936, the packages were 16 pounds each. Filled with magazines, candy, cigarettes, coffee, cookies, almanacs, and a book. And what's funny is Edward uh, wrote books. And each year he would include his newest published book if he had one in the package. That <laughs> a he little promotion. Yeah. He's just That's like, cool. slipped right in there, sponsor myself. <laughs> <laughs> little plug. Yeah. 1938, Bill Sr. flew to Bolivia to fly gold and mining equipment. So. Oh, is it work? Yes. Okay. And so Bill Jr. and Edward flew the Santa, flew All the by flying Santa route. Yeah. So it, you see the, the gradual change from father to son. Santa don't stop. Tradition. So flying Santa included Edward Snow from this point onward. Okay. Until he passed away. An author slash helper of the flying Santa. Yeah. Just an admirer. Until he passed away? Yeah. All, all, all of these continue well MVP. at least at least william and edward both yeah. continued until their deaths but he was never a pilot and so whenever he was in charge of mm-hmm. one of the routes or something or eventually when he was the flying santa he um, had to hire pilots and planes in order oh my gosh. to do this like which i think is cool but since 1940 it's been wiggins airlines is what he um, would hire out hire for the planes yeah hope they gave him a good price 
I know. Give him a discount because it's Santa. You got to do it in the Christmas spirit. You have a Christmas discount? Christmas <laughs> day discount? So Anna, Edward's wife, mm-hmm. flew with him in 1940 and stuck around for just about every year after that. So, nice. So now we have Santa and Mrs. Claus. On the planes. They're both throwing packages, navigating, being a part of it. Assisting because the pilot's doing most of the work and pilot is no longer Santa. Yeah. Well, it is, but not forever you know did, did they make the pilots wear santa outfits at that point when they no, were hired but edward wore santa outfits santa in the back let's yeah. go <laughs> that's awesome 1941 found us in world war ii mm. so bill jr was whisked away to be a flight instructor which is super cool for the navy how awesome that, that is awesome yeah and this is bill jr so he's following in his father's footsteps and Making he, his life all about flying. Bill Jr., did he have any military involvement that you know of? Or was he hired by the military, like as a contract, like as a civilian contract? Um, I don't know. I figured all flight instructors from military were military, but maybe not in a moment of need like World War II. Yeah, I, I would say, uh, I can say for sure that I don't know. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I certainly don't know. For certain, I don't know. So Bill, so Bill Jr. is off doing the Lord's work mm-hmm. in the Navy, and Bill Sr. is still in Bolivia, but he was going to return for the holidays, and he kind of like ditched the plan because he was worried he would raise raid alarms by flying a plane mm-hmm. next to the coastline during World War II. Yeah. <laughs> during World War. So Christmas was looking to be canceled this no. year. I know. But just a few days before Christmas... The Army and Navy officials authorized Flying Santa. No way. Operation Flying Santa. So the plane flown that year had two foot tall red letters on the side that said Christmas seal plane. So you could see it from down below. <laughs> so people wouldn't be scared that there was like an enemy plane. Bombing going yeah. on. The blackout <laughs> curtains were all drawn. out of a plane. They were like, we're going to have to mark this very clearly. Well, on the, this is Michigan coastline. Is that correct? Massachusetts. Massachusetts. I don't know my geography well enough. I was going to say, um, a lot of lighthouses during wartime, we've talked about, have been not functioning yeah. at least, mm-hmm. if not destroyed. Exactly. So we were... Or, so actually, there was... Like, they tried not to destroy lighthouses or dismantled. or dismantle them. They tried to run them in, like... How do, how do I... Like... Military operation? It was just they would run the lights in ways, in erratic ways that couldn't be like, it's not like this lighthouse has a flashing pattern. Oh, so you this. couldn't pick up. Yeah. A, so yeah, and a it recon. would be very uh, far in between that yeah. there would be a flash. So it'd be really hard to track. Yeah. So there were still keepers around yeah. uh, when there were wars and stuff going yeah. on. The flights were on hold until the end of the war in 1945 or maybe just before that. I couldn't really find out the exact date that they continued it again. At least for the first year of the war, they had Flying Santa, but then they had to put it on hold for a little while. Yeah. More important things happening. Yeah, we were busy. Yeah, and so just around this time, uh, 1946, I want to say, uh, one of the most heartwarming and well-known stories about Flying Santa mm-hmm. um, came to be. <laughs> After World War II, everybody's happy. Yeah, so Seamond Ponsart, who is still alive today, she is on... The oh no, she wrote a letter to be read on uh, the virtual gala that I'll leave a oh, link to. Nice. She was 
four years old and the daughter of the last keeper of Cuddy Hunk Lighthouse. And she requested a doll from our Santa. special flying Santa. Taking requests now. I know. What an upgrade. I was like, ballsy. <laughs> she's like, I want a doll. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired of coffee. Yeah. She's like, I want your coffee and your cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so Mr. Snow got this letter that... Mm. She wanted a doll and complied because why would you ever say no? And also like kids on a lighthouse, they have a sad, Mm -hmm. they're not, it's not the best thing ever. It's a different childhood. Yes. At very least. Like they're, they're never going to take, you can already tell they're never going to take anything for granted. So he's Mm. like, oh, like I'm just going to give her the doll. (laughs) You're not going to be like, oh, what a brat. (laughs) She wants a doll. Oh, at least she didn't ask for money. I want $100. (laughs) But when he dropped the box, it hit a rock. And so when they went and found the package later that day, which they also talked about, the keepers would, like, it was exciting. Go look for it. Like Christmas morning, you'd go out and look for the package. (laughs) (laughs) It's just funny because, you know, they can do their best to aim correctly. And I'm sure they got better at it over time. But you can't control how the package lands. Like, it's not. Oh, on weather changes. Yeah. Yeah. Pilots probably aren't. You're not flying the exact same route because mm-hmm. the pilot might be yeah. different. Or... You may have to loop over a couple times. So. Yeah, so when they opened the package, the doll had broken. What kind of doll? It's it's like, probably, it must have been a hard doll. It's probably a jointed doll. Mm. But they said that they put the mom, put the arm in a sling, and it was just like her broken <laughs> doll. So she still like loved and appreciated it, but Edward Snow received a letter from them just being like, it was damaged, but like we, we patched it up and everything. And he was like really sad about it. Uh, just like that he had failed in this one time that a kid a had asked request. him for something. Yeah. yeah. Which is not his fault, but you can't really, can't really do anything yeah. about that. So for the first year ever next year, a helicopter was chartered instead because because of a broken doll yeah he was like i'm doing this right this time and uh, seaman's father was now the keeper at west choplight and snow took the helicopter to the nearby gay head life-saving station which is i guess where you would land okay if you weren't at an airport or something yeah or maybe airports weren't a big thing in I, the 40s uh i don't think there were as many i don't I know think it seems convoluted say. because Flying was a lot more special back then. Yeah. It was like he, I mean. People wore suits. When William would just fly the plane around, just bringing people to the mainland, where would he land? Oh, it was in. Well, float planes can land on water. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't. Like a docks. (laughs) But anyway, so he had to, he couldn't land directly in front of the lighthouse on the helicopter probably because it needs to be a flat surface. So he landed at the life-saving station that's nearby and, um. Got to deliver a doll directly into Seaman's arms. Oh, that's very nice. Non-broken. I, uh, helicopters in the 1940s? I don't know. I don't know the history of helicopters. Yeah. I thought the first prolific use of them was in the 1960s. Yeah, the, uh, it was apparently very expensive to charter a helicopter at this yeah. time. And they actually didn't do that again until the 1970s. So it was a while later. Wow. So that was a cute little story just, and she like tells her recount of everything. And, um, she's like, I wasn't, it wasn't devastating that the doll was broken. It was just the whole tradition itself was for a kid at four year. And he was dressed up like Santa when he just handed her the new doll. So it was probably the coolest thing. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. 
also in 1946, the Winkapas returned from their war duties. Mm-hmm. And so we had Flying Santa back in full swing, and Edward had proven that he could be a good Flying Santa. So Held it up on his own. Yeah. After being a volunteer for the first one. Yeah. Just being a ride along. Exactly. And they flew together in a Douglas DC-3, in case anybody cares about <laughs> the flight models. I don't know anything about them. Someone cares. Yeah. And Junior was behind the controls and Senior was dropping packages this year. So, because at this point by now, Bill Senior is 61 years old and probably getting a little tired of having to fly the plane. Or at least is okay with passing on the flying to his son. It took two days to cover the now 115 lighthouses that they (sighs) delivered packages to. And... For this year, in 1946, they completed their dropping their packages before Christmas Day so that for the first time in 18 years, Mrs. Winkapaw could spend it with her husband instead of <laughs> missing him on Christmas. My goodness. The song I'll Be Home for Christmas had just come out. Maybe. <laughs> it's no based idea. on these two, actually. <laughs> Unfortunately, on July 16th, 1947, so the next summer... William suffered a heart attack shortly after taking off in his plane no. for a scenic ride over Rockland Harbor in his Cub Cruiser. And oh, Cub. Nice. I know that. Hey, the first yep. one. <laughs> I'm glad I mentioned it <laughs> in a sad part. <laughs> mm. But yeah, he uh, nosedived into the water and passed away. There was also someone else with him in the plane who also was killed on impact. That's really sad. Yeah. I hate to say it, but that's a great way to go. I was just thinking that like as sad and kind of morbid as it is, he's, his whole life, entire life yeah. was surrounded around flying and it's kind of not the worst way to go for him. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, losing anybody is, it's tough, yeah. no, but it's going to happen. At and least it's, it's that saying, like at least they go doing what they love. Yeah. Well, and he got to be home for Christmas. Yeah, that's the true. The year before, that's special too. That is special. A funeral was held for him a couple days later where many lighthouse keepers, Coast Guard members, and citizens from all over New England attended because Flying Santa, your funeral for Flying Santa. The original. He meant a lot to a lot of people, especially lighthouse keepers. So had a big funeral. Yeah. And um, when the very first Flying Santa was laid to rest, they set off fog horns and lighthouse warning bells over, all over the bay. That's really sweet. So that year, I don't know if he's trying to show him up or what. He's like his son. No, the Edward. He's Snow. like, yeah. He's like, all right, I'm officially new flying Santa. Let's whip out the <laughs> big hands. guns because he expanded his flights to 176 lighthouses. But also, he also dropped a memorial wreath over Rockland Harbor as like a memory for William while he was doing his flight. So. That's very nice. Yeah. So at least he had him in mind. <laughs> 176? Yes, from 115. I really want to see a map. There's a, a lot map. of lighthouses up there. I want to see a map of what this flight pattern looked like. Especially because now they say it takes two days. That'd so, be wild. Yeah. But the fact that this tradition survived all of this time and even past William's death yeah. is amazing considering that Snow wasn't even a pilot. And he had to hire a pilot and a plane yeah. for each year. And none of this was... Like it came out of his own pocket, all of these things. Like this, That's this incredible. whole this whole flying Santa thing wasn't owned by some corporation or something. It was just people 
doing the good deeds. You yeah. know, they'd have stuff in their packages that was sponsored by somebody like dropping off coffee from La Terrain. It was given to them. Right, right. But having to charter a flight and a pilot for each one of these because he didn't know how to fly yeah. a plane or didn't own a plane. Wait, it's incredible. Yeah. But even, even if it wasn't, even if it was a sponsored flight, you know, it, I don't know that it was or was not, but even if everything was paid for, packaging, parcels, everything, still the time that you put into it and the dedication and, and the, the planning, planning yeah, and, and people being consistent, especially at Christmas. Yeah. People being consistent year to year and counting on, on somebody. That's, yeah. Especially like after this many years, by now it's been 10 years of them doing this and yeah. like lighthouse keepers know that they're going to be getting a visit from Flying Santa on Christmas That's, that's really touching. Yeah. yeah. And he and his wife would always say too that like if they didn't do this, they'd be able to afford a much larger house <laughs> and like a nicer yeah. way of living. But they said obviously that the joy and you know, all the good feels from taking care of this tradition made it worth it. Yeah. In 1953, Snow completed his first transcontinental flight with the East Coast in the morning and West Coast at night, which is outrageous. And this included Tillamook Rock, which I just wanted to include because terrible we're going to be Tilly. terrible Tilly. We're going to be covering that one here pretty soon. It's been long enough since our betrayal of <laughs> our audio. Microphones, microphones betrayed us. Yes, so we can cover it again and actually post it, so everyone can finally know what we're talking about when we're talking about Tillamook Rock. Yeah. It's a really cool lighthouse. I wish it would have worked out, but it will. we'll bring it back. Soon, he started to include Great Lakes, Bermuda, and I don't know how to pronounce this. McKellen Islands? It's French, so. I don't know. I would. <laughs> if it's French, I would guess that you're just going to take off the end of the word, just not pronounce the oh. end. Oh, Mc. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that was pretty extreme. <laughs> yeah, I went full. I went full. Well, they'll know what you mean. Yeah, uh, it's actually. I saw that it's somehow connected to Peaky Blinders, and that it played a big role in um, Prohibition getting. I'm watching that right now. What do you mean? At the gym. Peaky this, Blinders. This episode. These episodes. There's a. Uh, yeah, I'm watching Peaky Blinders when I'm at the gym on on the little, uh-huh. you know treadmill moving my booty and uh yeah there's an island they fly to because during prohibition what years 1930s we're talking about now uh 1950s mm, i'm thinking 30s but, but no, there's I mean, an island the, reference and they fly there and it's a big it's where they start doing business from yeah anyways continue, yeah please. well like al capone had a mm-hmm. base out of there yep, he's in the peaky blinders yeah yep okay <laughs> Good to know. Good to know he's not a member of the gang, about. but he's in the show. Okay. So. Gotcha. It doesn't sound like my kind of show. There's gore and stuff, I bet. It's a dark theme. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, he included that island in there. <laughs> cool. He even went 100 miles east of Nova Scotia to Sable Island, who didn't, like, this area was so remote, it didn't even have commercial Christmas going on, so it wasn't hmm. even really a thing. I mean... It's Christmas, so they know it's a thing. But they don't have the exposure. Like, basically, if they weren't keeping up with dates, they would never even know that Christmas would happen. And so Snow had to fly in by seaplane and then take a wagon pulled by native ponies. Of course. To deliver gifts to the three kids and 23 adults that were on that island. 
So he started to really branch out yeah. and he's a hard worker. I mean, he's like, well, I broke a kid's doll and so I'm going to rent a helicopter and I'm going to fly over there and deliver it to her. Exactly. It must now. have had so much meaning to him. Yeah, he must have. I mean, this whole thing, I mean, he just joined in just because of how much he liked it. So yeah. it must have really resonated with him. Over the years, insurance costs started to skyrocket Ugh. because... <laughs> That's my... Ugh. Because these packages wouldn't hit. I mean, they're, he's, they're not aiming for anything, but hopefully not hitting people. Dropping 14 pounders. Well, they'd like find them on fences, like on the top <laughs> of fences and, and like roofs and stuff. So he, they had to pay insurance or mm. to get insurance on dropping packages, package heavy, like 16 pound packages mm-hmm. over people's heads and just being like, well, I hope it just doesn't do any real damage. Uh, Parachutes would have been better. Yeah, I know. That's what I was thinking. By 1977, all of the flight regulations that were going on, mm. like, you know, paying close attention and these insurance costs had restricted his visits to just three airports. So Snow realized the method he had to use for little seamen in 1946 would need to be the new flying Santa tradition. So we broke out the helicopters once again. <laughs> that sounds expensive. Yeah. So insurance was no longer necessary because I didn't have to fly way overhead and bomb a present. Yeah. Lower altitude, <laughs> more controlled. Yeah. Yeah. And although it was a little bit more expensive to charter, by now they were more common. So it wasn't. It wasn't as expensive mm-hmm. as it was in, what, did I, what was it like? 30s, 1930s. 30s. Yeah. Helicopters also had a lot less restrictions on altitude and like flight paths and all of that. Yeah. So it just got a lot easier to drop off the presents. In 1978, Santa took off from Massachusetts to Maine in a Bell Jet Ranger helicopter, hovering just above the lawns of the keepers and dropping the presents down so cool. from below that. So you hear it, the chopper coming. You're like, yeah. Ooh. I think I would be a little sad to have it not be in a plane anymore. Like plane sounds more like Santa than a helicopter does. Right. Like helicopter tactical does. Santa. Yeah. Like helicopter. It's like in the Santa Claus when they put Santa in a tank. A tank. I don't remember that. Is the Santa Claus? The Maybe movie? we just watched it. Or yeah. Remind me of the tank. Yeah. It's like he's in a. Oh, that's right. He's like, that's not right. Yeah. He's like, Santa wouldn't be in a tank. And where's the reindeer? Santa. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. That's what it makes me think of. But whatever. He's keeping the tradition alive. So so three years later, in 1981, Snow had a stroke. And it looked like Flying Santa mm-hmm. was at its end. But Judith Van Ham, the director of the whole life-saving museum, who at this time was preparing a tribute to Snow because she loved the Flying Santa tradition yeah. so much. Um, and she was concerned for his health. So this the stroke, she... I guess, Caught her attention. Yeah. Yeah. And she approached Mrs. Snow with the offer to take over Flying Santa for the year, just like the museum to take over the cost and like executing yeah. Flying Santa. So this gave the museum staff less than one month to prepare. Huh. I know. But at a small ceremony at Boston's Logan Airport, Mrs. Snow and their daughter passed on the Santa suit to Ed McCabe. And once again, the mantle was passed on and would be shared between museum members. So there was no one Flying Santa. It was yeah. like now the museum had taken it over. But I love that they had a, a tiny ceremony passing over the Santa suit. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. Was it the original suit or was... I don't know. Like if, there only one? If like Snow had his own suit. If they had a... If they passed it over, 
then I'm going to say, yeah, there's probably an original suit. So it's 50 years old at this time. <laughs> at least, at least. Maybe, maybe Snow had his own suit that was passed on now. So what happened to Ed Snow when his, his stroke hit him? He, he So a year later, he passed away at 79, which is pretty good. But Pretty good. Average. Yeah. 80, mm-hmm. yeah. Aside from being Flying Santa for decades, he was the author of over 90 books, as well as a teacher, historian, lecturer, radio personality, photographer, treasure hunter, and World War II veteran. I don't, I, I, wow. I don't want to know more about the treasure hunter, but <laughs> that's didn't look too really deep cool. into it. Really cool. The same year, George Morgan saw an ad requesting help from the museum for Flying Santa. And since he had his own natural big white beard, he figured he was perfect for an asset. Being, yeah, exactly. He's like, oh, I'll get the part immediately. I look the part. <laughs> <laughs> Along with being co-Flying Santa with whoever else was doing it in a year, George became the director of the museum's Flying Santa program. So they offered, the museum offered to take over flying mm-hmm. santa for that one year but obviously it stuck because flying santa Who's is a legend hand it off to yeah, yeah. like it's not something you give away right during the 1980s a huge supporter of the program was russ johnson a pilot with east coast helicopters and so most of the time he would fly and donate his time flying the helicopter for flying santa mm-hmm. and then the museum would pay like fuel costs and that would be it so he played a big part in keeping costs down enough that the museum could keep it going each year. And then sometimes even he would have the East Coast helicopters cover the cost of flying for the entirety of nice. Flying Santa. By 1987, most main lighthouses had been automated, so the flights had been reduced to only 15 lighthouses. Isn't that wow. sad? 100 and what, 70 something, 76 yeah. or something? Down cool. to 15. What was it, the 60s or, I guess, 70s that the Coast Guard started taking possession of a lot of them? Yeah, when... it, it passed over to the Coast Guard in 1939, all of them. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. I've forgotten that. And then after that, it was Coast Guard keepers, and they slowly started getting automated after that. So yeah. they didn't have to have personnel out there. WCVB-TV5. I'm assuming it's a news station for... WCVB-TV5. <laughs> Some some like I love that network or something started to step in as the helicopter provider for the Boston area, which was nice because then the trips were broadcasted on TV. Oh, they probably had a news helicopter that yeah. they're using. That's awesome. Traditional gift boxes were still dropped for these keepers, even though the numbers were a lot smaller, mm-hmm. and actually still included La Terrain coffee and also Bickford restaurant certificates. So yeah. that's fun. And they also had razors, Cape Cod potato chips, Bell's seasoning, McDonald's toys, dog biscuits, <laughs> like toothbrushes. It's just all like, the stuff they get donated. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever they can get from people, they drop it off, which that's nice, though. I feel like the contents of the present don't really matter. It's just that someone's thinking about you enough to come and yeah. visit you on Christmas and well, play the role of Santa. I, I think the original contents were very valuable. I know. Yeah. Well, World War II was its own, its own thing, but my grandpa. One of the two of them, both of them fought World War II, talked about the value of coffee, cigarettes, and chocolate um, individually during and after World War II. And I, I assume they were culturally significant before. Yeah. And so, uh, especially during rationing and everything during mm-hmm. World War II, all that was very, very valuable to people. So, 
but yeah, giveaways, you know, McDonald's toys and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's it's still fun. So these stops, now that there was only 15, they were brief, but they could actually land and hang out for a little bit. Mm. So the helicopter would land every time mm. they got to a lighthouse and Santa would be able to visit with any children that were there for like 15 nice. to 20 minutes. The Santas, because there was usually like they were co-Santaing. There was like occasionally they'd bring along like an elf helper. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And they would always receive like desserts and treats and stuff that the family would <laughs> make in anticipation for Santa. So did people come to these lighthouses now because they knew that flying Santa was coming? So they'd have their kids meet Santa. It always made it sound I like would there definitely was take more than just like a family yeah. living there. It always seemed like there was more. So maybe it was... Locals would come out. Yeah. That's really neat. It's pretty cool. By 1995, enough families were at the more of the northern lights that they would warrant a day trip to Maine and New Hampshire to visit nine more of light, the lighthouses. Mm-hmm. So there's like, what is that, 24? These landings were really difficult because it's rocky. And I mean, you've seen pictures of some of the lighthouses we've covered that are like on the edge of a cliff or oh, something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, we wouldn't, I mean, they wouldn't have been able to do this if it weren't for just having amazing pilots that were willing to donate all of their time for Flying Santa, or at least for Christmas. Yeah. Two years later, by 1997, uh, Flying Santa had outgrown the museum. They were kind of like having trouble keeping up with it. And a small educational nonprofit called Friends of Flying Santa, which is what we have today, was formed by volunteers to ensure a long-term financial plan for Flying Santa. So there wasn't the danger of like, oh, the museum went out of business and now Flying Santa is over. It's like, and especially at this point, the tradition had been going for 50 years. Yeah. So you can't just... Well, the... 60 years. Yes. 60 years. And the, the museum carried it for... What, thirty years? Um, nineties, uh, ten years. Okay, I missed. I'm sorry, I missed the timeline. No, no, you actually, it's a little. It's, it's more than that. It's like fifteen years. So, friends of the lighthouse or friends of Flying Santa? Yeah, friends of Flying Santa was started, and they would raise money through boat and bus tours, and raffles for overnight stays in lighthouses, mm-hmm. cruises, helicopter rides, etc. So mostly through like raffles and like fun drawings and stuff like that they would raise money and some years helicopter services were provided for free and they also made a logo that was made um to sell on merchandise to raise money which i actually actually i looked and they're pretty affordable merchandise so i was like i should get a hat interesting it's that time of year for stocking stuffers (laughs) (laughs) get me a hat over the years some big names, big lighthouse names, mm-hmm. who are also on the virtual gala that I'm going to link, uh, have gone on rides for Flying Santa, like been like ride along. Yeah. And uh, like Seamond has been on one of these Flying Santa rides. Okay. And William Winkapaw the third. So we've got some Winkapaw wow. descendants. Yeah. I guess. That's cool. William, the original Flying uh-huh. Santa, was his great grandfather. So maybe there was a one generation skipped. They didn't yeah. name. They I'm pretty sure. Name. Yeah. Yeah. Nowadays, a Robinson R66 is used for these flights for Flying Santa. No idea. I, I bet it's either. a cool helicopter though. I bet so. Yeah. That's what I got. Oh, also, Sally Snowman is on the virtual gala. She hey. talks a little bit. I was like, <laughs> look at Sally. Sally gets around. She does a lot of work. She's just was so happy to be there. For those who don't know, could you remind us? Oh, She's yeah. The... Sally Sally Snowman is the 
uh, last keeper in the U.S. Uh, she's at the last manned station in the U.S., which is Boston Light. Really cool. Her last keeper. Really she's cool. been doing it for decades. I'm wondering what, like, is she going to be replaced whenever she decides to retire? Or do you think... I don't they'll think so. autom- I don't think they'll ever automate it. I bet it's an eternally... I mean, I have no, I have no idea, but I just, an emotional reaction is I don't think, I don't think you can replace people. I mean, uh, there's, we should tell her story. Maybe it should be its own episode, but yeah, maybe we should, I, I, we should, yeah, we should talk to her if we can, but it's one of those, <laughs> so not knowing much at this time, the flying Santa was passed on because it was so significant to everyone mm-hmm. who it impacted. Yeah. It sounds like, but somebody who's the last keeper of the last manual lighthouse in the United States. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, just, I don't know. I guess I don't know if someone would take it over. Yeah. I'm changing my mind a little bit about it because it's not about the keeper. It's about the lighthouse. They're not going to be like, Oh, well let's let this lighthouse history go to waste because we had someone retire. It's like she's in service of the lighthouse. The lighthouse is not in service of her, yeah. but, but she's p- like famous yes. in our community. Yeah. So. But yeah, that's flying Santa. And that's, uh, today friends of flying Santa is still in charge of it every year. Where are they? Are they, do they have a headquarter like brick and mortar or are they a group online? Uh, I don't know. I think maybe cause it's a group of volunteers, they wouldn't have a building, but maybe they would. I don't know. I'll link their website in yeah. our show notes so you can take a look. They have a lot of information, a lot more than what I talked about on their website yeah. about how this all c- came to be. So. It sounds like they're selling swag still. Yeah. Yes. Interesting. So if you want to read more about it or hear more about it, then you can go ahead and listen to Jeremy Detremont and guests yeah. talk about Flying Santa. And then you can also read about it on Friends of Flying Santa. They got a lot of cool history on there and lots of cool pictures. I'll, I'll put a couple of them on our Instagram so you can take a look, but lots of cool pictures on their website. You just check it out. I want you to know between us, Emily has talked about, you know, the next episodes on flying Santa for a long time. And we intentionally don't talk about the content outside of recording that way we can have genuine reactions to it and a more interesting conversation truly. But I was picturing like, okay, flying Santa, Maybe it's some story at some lighthouse where they saw a shooting star or something like (laughs) (laughs) some constellation. I have no idea. So it just feel like a short, like, like a folklore history lesson. Some burglar fell out of a window on Christmas Eve and they're like, oh, it's Santa. (laughs) Flying Santa. Santa flew out my window. Uh, So this is very, uh, very fun. I appreciate it. Yeah. I'm glad that. I mean, we care so much about lighthouses now, mm-hmm. but back then I feel like they, I mean, they weren't historical. They were lighthouses that were just built and we use them for navigation, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, there are these big buildings that don't hold any like, nav- well, uh, hold very little navigational right. assistance at, compared to what they used to. But now yeah. they have so much historical significance that. Yeah. They're all know. museums and yeah. they're all. It so seems much like history at all of them. Anywhere that has a lighthouse nearby, mm-hmm. it's like. I mean, I asked this on the the interview with um, Carl Lindquist. And, yeah, like how does it affect yeah. the culture? Yeah, it's like what's the low, and it's like, well, of course it does. Yeah, you know, and they have their own Marquette, Michigan, of course, has its own lighthouse. Mm-hmm. But they were saying, you know, it 
it's if there's a local brewery or distillery it's going to be on the glasses yeah there's there's t-shirt that's going to be on one of them like it's mm-hmm. it's a the outer banks which we got to visit in september that was i mean we were going to see the lighthouses so maybe we're a little biased in our view but there were but it was probably half it's probably half of the I mean, even the coffee shop we went to was yeah. a was a fake Had a lighthouse, lighthouse on it, yeah. But that's a lot of dedication to build a lighthouse into your coffee shop, and <laughs> it was pretty it. good. Outward I, effect. I must recommend it. It was a nag's head. Oh gosh, what was it called? I don't know. There was two of them that we tried. Both of them were good. One was one was preferred. For yeah, us. one of them we went back. I think we went three times during our yeah. trip. So it was really good. Either like way, cafe. The the culture of of lighthouses. Everyone's really proud of them. Yeah, and they're proud to maintain them. Which is really, it's good for us, but it's it's interesting to see, especially with stories like this. Yeah, yeah. It means well, it meant so much to people for so long, and uh, we think, uh, you know, when we talk about the world history, United States is like a baby, like we have no history according yeah. to the Europeans, but we have our own uh, our own significance that's that's in recent generations, like you talked about. The the third, what was it? Will the first? Oh, his yeah, great grandson got yeah. to be a part of the same right. route mm-hmm. uh, as a ride along. That's it's pretty neat. Mm-hmm. So very cool. Coffee's gotten to me. <laughs> <laughs> Good, but that's it. That's our our Christmassy episode for all of you to listen into. Get in the Christmas spirit, the giving, and warm and fuzzy Christmas spirit. Are you doing the next one? I need to. Okay. I haven't prepared. <laughs> I am a uh, new rep. Yeah. I updated my LinkedIn profile. Nice. That I'm the co-host of this here podcast <laughs> and also media fundraising and some other things like that. And nice. so I need to, I need to be doing that work. Yeah. It's uh, I have too many hobbies right now, which yeah. is good. It's a good thing. It's a good problem. Yeah. My life is, is great. So, but I need to spend some time and, uh, I think the next episode could be mine. And I think I'm going to ask that you insert my own foghorn okay. for my own entertainment. <laughs> you need to extract the audio from your video. Mm-hmm. Very good. That's all I got. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening in. I'm also I'm going to have a lot of stuff in the show notes. Uh, so take a look for links to more information about Flying Santa or just pictures. The pictures are so cute. There's all kinds of stuff. So you should head to Flying Santa. Uh, the Friends of Flying Santa website, and you can take a look at it. Um, also, take a look at some of the pictures that I'm going to post on our Instagram, at the Lighthouse Lowdown. If you have anything you want us to cover or have any questions or anything at all, you can send us an email at thelighthouselowdown at gmail.com. And you can listen to our podcasts anywhere. So, Are we still doing Standard Rock stickers for those who donate? Oh, yes. If anybody donates to the Standard Rock Restoration Project, that's going to be starting hopefully next summer. Mm-hmm. Um, follow a link in our last episode's show notes, I think. I think so. Um, and if you do donate, just send a screenshot of your confirmation and uh, you'll get a free sticker from us of my hand-drawn version of Standard Rock. Very so, cool. Yeah, yeah, that's what I got. So thanks for listening and we'll see you next time on The Lighthouse. Lowdown. Mm-hmm.